Good morning. This is Dr. Dan Guerra coming to you from the Inland Pacific Northwest, giving you another presentation of Authentic Biochemistry podcast, the audio form. Today, we're going to be discussing Treg cells and their regulation and differentiation. Now, we've been doing this discussion of T lymphocytes for the last, oh, I'd say eight lectures. And the reason we're doing it is because of their important role in aging, which is the major physiological discussion we've been having for the last six weeks. And we're comparing that, of course, to various forms of pathophysiology and certain diseases, such particularly such diseases that are associated with oncology. That is different cancers and different organ systems, <clears throat> including uh, the blood. So we're going to uh, be bringing that all back together, as I've been promising. We've been doing it each episode, I hope, already. But I'm going to give you syn synthesis of all this information. And then all the background uh, will be important for you to be able to follow me along so we can generate a dialectical event ontology of the paradigm of aging relative to the immune system. Remember, that's where we're going. Okay. So again, I'm Dr. Dan Guerra, and this, of course, is Authentic Biochemistry. So what do I want to say at the very beginning? Well, cellular senescence is a physiological process, and it has genetic determinants, but it also external modifiers. And those external modifiers vary um, generically or conceptually are such phenomena as stress, nutrition, and cell fate reprogramming. Now, of course, that latter would include autophagy and apoptosis. <clears throat> Human aging, though, is a lifelong teleological process. So where cellular senescence is a physiological process, I'm arguing that human aging is a lifelong teleological process. It means it has an end note to it. It's leading to some inevitability. And this lifelong teleological process includes the specifics of cellular senescence. So that's held within the aging system process. Plus, it has an underdefined terminus that tracks chronological longevity. And of course, it occurs in all the systems of the body, including the musculature, the solid organs, the peripheral nervous system, and the central nervous system, to name some very significant components. Now, there, therefore, I want you to get the idea that there is a scientific and a physiological difference between human aging and cellular senescence. Cellular senescence can occur all the time in different tissue systems and can occur, that is, it can remit, uh, sometimes slow down, plateau even. You could even get a regeneration of cellular mass in organs, even after severe stress or damage, such as in the liver, which normally one wouldn't think that's possible, but it does. Unfortunately, it's mostly fibrosis. And as I mentioned to you um, last month when we were doing hepatocellular carcinoma as an example of the immune system controlling that particular cancer, Remember, I told you that fibrosis can lead to um, cirrhosis, and cirrhosis can ultimately lead to hepatocellular carcinoma. 
So it's a steep gradient, but it's not one that's uh, very difficult for the pathophysiology to follow. So here I'm telling you that aging is at the organismal level. So all the aging is in contrast to senescence. It's not contradictory, but it's in contrast. So it's contrarian because that's variable, okay? Senescence is variable. It's tissue specific. And as I just mentioned, it's plastic, which means it can leave its mark and proceed from wherever that mark has been left, such as a severe stress, tissue damage, for example. But it's also elastic in that you can get a um, rapid response in aging, but then because of cellular division and recuperation of function, whatever damage was caused to that organ system, let's say, can be remitted in such a way that the aging basically starts over again because you just generated new tissue, new cells, right? So their, their longevity then will start from whenever they first made, uh, were making division and ultimate differentiation. <clears throat> so that's really important to understand. It's both plastic and elastic. And it's relative to the short, but um, I would say naively stochastic progress. It means it looks random, but I would say naively stochastic because maybe it's not stochastic. We just don't have enough um, fertile information to understand how this process is actually regulated at, at a higher level. But let's call it a stochastic pro progress that presents with intervals of, as I said, remission and progression, the aging, okay, the senescence process, without a necessary uniformity of morbidity or indeed coordinated coincidental death of the system. Okay, so it's quite different than aging. So at the end of human life, the senescence of every tissue lineage can be rate and stage specifically independent, yet ultimately uniformly um, unrecoverable after a sufficient time after death. That is, can you regenerate cells from a dead body? Uh, it take, it's a very short interval of time, but you can do that right after death. But it doesn't take very long be before, basically because of oxygenation, those cells actually do die. They become necrotic, actually. They don't become apoptotic, and they don't senesce. They become necrotic, and the damage is uh, uh, no longer repealable, and they can't go through a, a cell cycle, so they can't divide again. But right at the time of death, cells can be taken. Now, this is now excluding the microbiota. That's a different system. So integumental, that is on the skin and near the dermis, and internal microbiota, they can survive post-physiological death. And that, of course, depends once again on whether or not you have an aerobic or an anaerobic environment. And, and that is what kind of world microorganisms you're talking about. Facultative anaerobes, strict anaerobes, which are pretty rare, of course, in the human body, uh, or strict aerobes. Uh, all of those bacteria can be cultured quite a time after death, physiological death of the human body. In fact, this is sometimes used in forensics. It's something that I've been suggesting for over a decade now that we use DNA and sometimes we can use RNA in forensics to look to study crime scenes. Um, I've been suggesting for a long time that we could also be using microbiota, both internal and external that is on the integument slash skin 
to be able to look at the microbiota as a very specific component phenomenon of individuals. <clears throat> but that's for that's room for another discussion. So depending on the aerobic requirements that you can get microbiota. Now, age-related changes in the immune system, such as thymic involution, lymphatic zonation, circulation, chronic inflammation, infection, and even autoimmunity, all sort of generally follow a course of decline in the number of naive T lymphocytes. Okay, so I want to make that clear, a general decline in the number of naive T lymphocytes. Now, I know you listeners have been following me long enough, um, my, my faithful crew, in knowing that T cell differentiation is regulated by such things as transcription factors, growth factors, and of course, the all-important signaling phenomenon associated with mostly cytokines, but also with chemokines. <clears throat> So we know that there's a lot of intracellular communication, which can ultimately lead to the differentiation of naive T cells into various subsets and lineages. And what I'm telling you now is that age-related changes in the immune system, which I just reiterated to you quickly, um, all basically follow a course of decline. And that decline means a number of total naive T cells. There's also a modification of the functional activity of individual immune cell populations as ones that are extant. Ones that could also, of course, be activated to proliferate. Now, particular interest is a subset of CD4-positive regulatory Treg cells, of course. And those maintain immunological self-tolerance and what we would say a, an immune homeostasis. Now, one of the papers I'm reading from, I'm, I'm, I'm taking this lecture from, is from uh, the journal Immunology Letters. The paper was published in 2020, just a few months ago. The volume on that is 226, and the pages are 83 to 89. If you want to go find that paper, Immunology Letters 2020, volume 226, 83 to That is behind a paywall. You have to have a library uh, access to be able to get that full paper. But I just want to make sure you got that um, citation. All right, so... Human Tregs okay, represent only about 5 to 10% of the total CD4 positive naive T cell pool. So human CD4 positive Tregs can be further divided, of course, into two key subpopulations. We've talked about these very recently. One of them is the thymus-derived Tregs or TTregs and the other are the Tregs generated in the periphery because of division, and those are called PTregs, right? So you have TTregs, PTregs, where the first letter is small, and then the T, of course, is capitalized, if you're looking to do a search on this. Now, Treg subsets are differentiated, of course, via membrane, cytoplasmic, and nuclear location of various transcription factors, and growth factors, okay? Now, the most common for the Treg is a transcription factor of 4KED-BOXP3, or known as FOXP3. I much prefer FOXP3 than 4KED. I already told you where the 4KED uh, nomenclature comes from, from our friends, the Desophila researchers. Now, the FOXP3's product is a polypeptide named Scurfin. 
and scriven regulates nuclear gene expression, so it's a transcription factor, not a mitochondrial transcription factor, a nuclear transcription factor. And of course, that then generates a subsequent Treg differentiation, and because it differentiates, it's going to have a different function. <clears throat> so FOXP3 plus Tregs also constitutively express an abundant plasma membrane-associated protein. So where FOXP3 can be in the cytoplasm and the nucleus, this is a strictly membrane-associated abundant protein called CD25. Now, we talked about this too. CD25 uh, is better known as the interleukin-2 receptor alpha chain. So it will bind to interleukin-2, right, the cytokine. There's also a low level of plasma membrane CD127, which, yeah, it's another cytokine receptor. It's the interleukin-7 receptor alpha chain. Okay, so these serve dual purposes. Other characteristics uh, for protein expression patterns share what I would call discriminating co-occurrences and variable abundance with other T-cell lineages outside the Treg subpopulation. And we've covered all of that in previous lectures too, so I don't need to reiterate at least that here. Here's a paper published in a uh, Japanese journal called Nagoya Journal of Medicine, Medical Science. This is it's, it's published in English, and this is volume 81, pages 1 to 18. This was published in 2019. Okay, so you get an idea. This is only about a year ago. What is this paper going to provide for our lecture here? What is it going to introduce to us? Let's get to it. Regulatory T cells are a subset, as we've said, of CD4-positive thymic lymphocytes, and they maintain a self-tolerance and, of course, as I said many times, what we call immune homeostasis. We know that Tregs, that is card-carrying professional Tregs, are suppressor cells, and they suppress a wide range of physiological and also pathological immune responses. If you want to know the distinction between physiological and pathological, physiological has something to do with just removing um, a, a, an interaction of T effector cells that is related to degrading a tissue population because of normal development, right? as opposed to a pathological immune response when you have something like an autoimmune or a hyperimmune response, and Tregs come to the rescue to knock down the activity of the all-potent T effector cells like Th1, Th2, and Th17 lineages. <clears throat> so all of those are responses against self and foreign antigens, right? And they, of course, include those from the tumor lineages. So Tregs are controlling the effector cells, which are then regulating physiological, pathological systems. So Tregs were originally identified, of course, uh, in the early literature is a CD4-positive T lymphocyte. It expresses, as I said, those two really important receptors, the interleukin-2 uh, receptor alpha chain, and to a lesser degree, the interleukin-7 alpha chain. Now, more detail. The CD25-positive, CD4-positive Tregs are characterized by the expression of that master regulatory transcription factor, FOXP3, and that's an absolute requirement. That means it's necessary for them to differentiate correctly in the thymus. So Tregs expressing FOXP3 are, from the get-go, essential for self-tolerance. 
And it's demonstrated by the fact that FOXP3 deficiency results in a fatal auto, many fatal autoimmune disorders, usually in utero, um, if it occurs that early on, unfortunately. A continuously high level of FOXP3 expression is important for Treg lineage stability and function. And it maintains that transcriptional and functional program, which was established way back during Treg development in the thymus, and it represses the production of most, if not all, pro-inflammatory cytokines that otherwise could be synthesized by Tregs. Because remember, Tregs can de-differentiate based on signaling. Now, the perturbation of the FOXP3 gene expression in mature Tregs is going to result in an autoimmune pathology, and it's going to be also associated with an enhanced production of cytokines that are, of course, characteristically pro-inflammatory. And those are going to be their Th2 lineage more often. Tregs maintain a self-tolerance in healthy individuals, and they protect them from a developing autoimmune disease or allergies. That's how they normally function. Whereas in malignancy, though, they often suppress effective anti-tumor immunity. So this, this is actually detrimental. So here's where Tregs are acting patho physiologically, because if they're suppressing T effector cell anti-tumor immunity, they're, they're disrupting the immune response to destroy the tumor. Of course, that's pathophysiology. So that would inadvertently allow for tumor uh, division, cell division, evasion from the immune system uh, by definition, and then progression perhaps to metastasis. So Tregs are subdivided into natural thymic Tregs, right? And the induced peripheral. So I'm adding another adjective here because this paper brings it up. Natural versus induced, right? Induced just means activated and then uh, caused to go through cell cycle. And of course, we talked about this being dependent on their site of origin. And, and the, name, the name explains it all. The Tregs are from the thymus where the self-antigen-primed autoreactive T-cells have a high-affinity T-cell receptor, and they acquire then, after this processing, an expression of CD25, through which interleukin-2, the cytokine interleukin-2, will transmit a signal, and then back intracellularly into the Treg, it's going to, that signaling is going to go through the STAT5 pathway. It's going to stimulate then the transcription of the FOXP3 gene in those Tregs. That actually spares, that process spares C25 positive, CD4 positive naive cells from clonal deletion once that's triggered. Otherwise, they would be deleted. So FOXP3 seems to confer an overall early stage survival advantage. While cells that have an equivalent T-cell receptor signaling but lacks that FOXP3 expression because of the activation induced here, they would all be deleted, right? So that would be all your other naive uh, CD4 positive T cells that would go on to become Th1, Th2, Th17, or Th9. Okay, so more about TTregs, right? This is what the main theme of this lecture is. TTregs migrate to inflammatory sites and they suppress various immune cells. The most important are CD4-positive helper T cells, but they also will suppress CD8-positive uh, cells. So you have 
regulatory T cells and anti-tumor immunity cytotoxic T cells, all of which can be controlled by the Tregs. You also have a CD11C+, these are integrin alpha L plus dendritic cells, and those also can be controlled by thymic origin Tregs. Now there are gene expression markers, as we've been saying for a month now, that are associated with the TTRegs. Beyond just having the ones we've mentioned so far is the transcription factor Helios, which I talked about previously. That's a co-factor, a co-transcription factor in opening up for chromatin remodeling and sometimes epigenetic modification, thus leading to transcription of a gene like FOXB3. And Helios is coded by the IKZF2 gene, whereas neurofilin-1 is another really important co-transcription factor, and that comes from the NERP1 gene. Conversely, peripheral inducible TTRegs lack or express very low levels of both the AKZF2, which is the Helios, and the NERP1. Right, which is a neurofilin gene transcript and then protein product. The differentiation of the ITregs, the inducible Tregs, or the T or the PTregs, if you will, likely occurs from conventional T cells, and that is in response to a non-self antigen, for example, like an allergen, something in the food maybe, and of course, even bacteria that are in the body. For example, immune tolerance to a food allergen can be induced in neonatal mice, this is now the mouse model, murine model, where a lot of this work is done, upon maternal sensitization with ovalbumin. So the maternal IgG ovalbumin ratio, it makes an immune complex depending on the molar equivalence, and that could be transferred in breast milk and presented by the CD11C plus dendritic cells to the offspring. That induces an ovalbumin-specific inducible Treg, and that prevents food anaphylaxis and ova-A-specific IgE production and intestinal mast cell expansion. So these cells are also very important in tamping down the immune system. And you can see it's done actually during gestation in the murine model, presumably also in the human model. Then you can talk about the transforming growth factor beta receptor, TGF beta receptor, and its signaling. And that appears to be necessary, of course, for FOXP3 activation in the CD25 minus CD4 positive T cells. So naturally occurring intestinal helminths of rodents and ruminant animals, okay, back in now into, into um, classic research animals, they exploit the generation of the inducible Tregs to inhibit host immunity during chronic infections of these helminths. For example, the roundworm, which is Heligmosomotes polygyrus, it lives actually in the intestine of rodents, and of course we can get roundworm in human. Um, and it secretes proteins. These are called the HES proteins because it's from the Heligmosomoides uh, genus of, the, of these roundworms. 
and they bind to the TGF beta receptor, the one I just mentioned. That, of course, is going to activate downstream signaling and induce de novo FOXP3 expression directly into FOXP3 splenocytes coming from the lymphatic um, uh, gland spleen. Okay, so you get the idea of how this is controlling at the periphery. So HES-induced Tregs from this helmet suppress both in vitro effector cell proliferation, okay, TH1, TH2, TH17, and any in vivo allergic airway inflammation. But the Tregs can also be converted back to pro-inflammatory effector TH2 cells. Indeed, during H. polygyrus infection, a significant portion of Th2 cells are actually derived from the original FOXP3 plus T cells. Okay, so you see how this is really important about dedifferentiation coming directly from your Treg population. Now, such X FOXP3, now Th2 cells, because of changes in transcription factor profiles, and therefore the expression of genes that are controlled under that ages. Um, TH2 cells exhibit a characteristic, of course, TH2 effector function, and they're going to provide immunity to the H. polygyrus through the helmet. Concomitantly, they will be limiting the Treg-mediated suppression that normally goes on. And although FOXP3 is a master regulatory element of Tregs, it's also expressed in other cells, particularly in humans. So this allows for only that population to be um, redirected, right? So that it deals with the helminth uh, parasitic infection at the same time that the rest of the cells that may be expressing FOXP3 go on to act like regular T effector cells. You see? So uh, uh, an example of this, FOXP3 is upregulated during uh, T cell receptor stimulation in all the naive T cells in humans. So that's why you find that transcription factor. That's why it's not unique to the T-Rex, right? And it shouldn't be because it's needed to co-adapt. If you have, for example, a parasitic infection in this particular specific case, at the same time, you have T-Rex com controlling and allowing for commensal bacteria and commensal systems within the epithelia to proceed and not be recognized as autoantigens and therefore cause a pathophysiology. The same time those Tregs can turn on a new function because of the manipulation of that FOXP3 status, right? By generating then new transcripts from the FOXP3 transcription um, activation in conjugation with the Helios gene, right? Uh, so you see how this functions. These co-adapters are allowed for the ultra-specificity of the de-differentiation of these Treg cells. So there's one more component I want to talk to you before we stop today, but I think I want to leave it at that. I will tell you that we're going to talk next time about CD45RA, which is basically a protein tyrosine phosphatase receptor type C, or CD45. We're going to talk about the RA forms and we're going to talk about the RO forms of Tregs. This is further delineation so that we fully understand our Tregs function, again, in physiology, pathophysiology, uh, and, and regulating the con and controlling T effector cells and then de-differentiating the essentially turn on to T effector cells when that's required. So 
again, what I'm trying to get at here, and I think I think we're moving along at a pretty good rate, although sometimes it seems to me like we're not moving fast enough, is I'm, I'm trying to give you a, a complete architectonic of the immune system. So that without leaving out details, I'm giving you all of the details so that we can bring this all together and bring all the threads together and stitch some embroider something new with all these lines moving in a coordinated way, just like they do in the system, in the human body, for example, then you'll be able to understand why I've been suggesting for a long time that the immune system is actually the major controller of all of human homeostasis. And indeed, the, a major process of human uh, homeostasis is the eventual senescing, aging, and then death of the system. So we're going to stop there because it's time to do so. And I'm going to tell you again, this is Dr. Dan Guerra coming to you from Authentic Biochemistry Studios on the 14th of September, 2020. Bye for now.